Welcome back, comedy fans. It's an all-new Comedy at the Carlson cast. Get more information and subscribe at carlsoncast.com. Today's episode, we're joined by the legendary Orlando Jones. Of course, today's episode is brought to you by Three Heads Brewing, the makers of Rochester's favorite beer. Remember, do good things, drink responsibly, and always be kind. Now, here's your host. He's also legendary. No, I'm sorry, that's a mistake. He loves dairy. It's Mr. Vinnie Paulino. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Nothing I love more than fake applause. Welcome to the comedy at the Carlson cast. My name is Vinnie Paulino. I have the privilege of being your host today. And those of you who are joining us on Facebook Live, welcome. And those of you who are just listening to the podcast later, welcome as well. We're excited for today's show. It's a weird Thursday afternoon edition of the Carlson cast. Going to be joining me today is the only person I ever know, I've ever known, who has created who had creative control on a 7-Up commercial, Orlando Jones is coming in. Uh, that's the fun of doing a live show. Sometimes I screw up. But before we get to Orlando Jones, just a couple of things we got to talk about. Real bummer. We had a big show planned for October. Jeff Garland was going to be here. But the poor guy hurt his foot. And he can't travel right now. He's, I don't know what's going on. I'm not his doctor. But he cannot travel right now. So, unfortunately, the shows have been rescheduled to April. I believe it's the weekend of April Fools. So, if you have a ticket for Jeff Garland, hang on to it. And it will transfer over to the April dates. We just want to make sure everybody knows about that. And if you, you know, haven't gotten your ticket for Jeff Garland, you can get it for April. And you can get tickets for a lot of other cool shows that are coming up. And uh, I guess I'll tell you about those now. And we'll be right back with Orlando Jones. Well, folks, before Orlando Jones comes into the studio, allow me to take a second and tell you a little bit about our upcoming shows. Next weekend, Vic DiBattetto is going to be here September 30th through October 2nd. And also, Sky Sands is going to be in the Rickles Room October 1st and 2nd. Now, the week after that, Harlan Williams will be here. We're excited to have Harlan back. He's a great guy. Mark Norman. How about that for a get? One of the biggest comics in the world, October 14th through the 16th. And Dan Viola will be in the Rickles Room, one of our favorite comics. Gina Brillion will be here October 21st and 23rd. You may know her from AGT. And Pete Corelli will be here October 28th through the 30th. Coming up, Rich Aronovich, November 4th through the 6th. And Mike Young will be here November 11th through the 13th. Robert Kelly returns November 19th and 20th. Get your tickets for that. They're moving quick. One night only, November 24th. It's a tradition around these parts. Dr. Dirty John Valby. Earl David Reed joins us November 26th through the 27th. And Russell Peters. Can you even believe it? December 2nd through the 4th. Michael Rappaport will be here December 9th through the 11th. And there's going to be plenty more shows added, so make sure you keep an eye out to carlsoncomedy.com or call 585-4-COMEDY for information. And ladies and gentlemen, we hope to see you at a show. Now back to me. Gentlemen, joining me in studio. You may know him from Mad TV. You may know him from uh, movies like Drumline or The Replacements or my personal favorite, uh, cult classic evolution. It's Orlando Jones, everybody. <laughs> There's one guy clapping. I know. Yeah, so it feels about right. Yeah, that feels right. <laughs> I, I I feel bad. I usually throw it a clap, but I didn't today. No, look, there's now, always one guy. It's like uh, okay, since nobody else is gonna clap. My issue is rhythm. 
but that's a whole other story. Wow. Okay. Really? It's that, really. It's I just issue? I avoid the clapping because I do it wrong. It's I an feel. issue. Yeah. The issue is people judge you and try to clap. They look at me like I'm a kind of like a porpoise or a seal or something. You know that that porpoise judgment is heavy. People really always is. always on my case. Now you, know you got to fight back, man. You know, man. I mean, you're a white man for God's sakes. Yeah, you would think they would all just leave me alone. It's what I heard they do, but you know, I I, I don't I don't know that life. I don't I don't know nothing about that life. Well, let's chat. Let's get, let's. <laughs> Where do we go from here? I feel like maybe a bridge has been built. <laughs> Orlando Jones is our headliner this weekend at the Carlson. There's still some tickets available. You can get them at uh, carlsoncomedy.com. But Orlando, of all the people that I've had in here, you're one of the talents that I think I've been most cognizant of for a while because I really did enjoy Mad TV. Evolution is one of oh, those wow. movies that I love. And every time I see you in something, I go, Orlando Jones, and I get happy. So Thank you very much. to have you in studio, to be able to like bend your ear and ask you a bunch of dumb <laughs> questions, which are coming, is a treat for me. So I want to know. Not just you. <laughs> Not just you. Oh, I just knocked the camera. <coughs> That's how excited Look, I, I am today. I describe myself in the following way. Okay. If I'm anything, I'm a fan, right? Okay. I grew up watching stuff and getting excited, you know, and losing my mind and all that. So I consider myself a 14-year-old fangirl. All the feels, all this. So for me, you're in, you're in good hands, man. All right, man. I am a fan. So I feel like we have that in common because I sit back and I watch things and I just go, man, I got to like, yeah, I can I enjoy excited. it for what it is. I'm not a super critical person. I can enjoy things. And that's what I love, the people yeah. who could be fans like that. So my first question for you, though, I want to start at the beginning. Did you want to be an actor growing up? Was that what you wanted to do, was being a serious actor? Oh, God, no. Really? Mm -mm. No, not at all. What, what, when you were a kid, when they would say to you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What did you tell them? I wanted to be a pilot. Okay, he did yeah. it wrong. Yeah, and I was like, oh, military. Huh, mm -mm. not doing that. Right. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to be a part of any club that would have me as a member. Uh, nope. Mm -mm. <laughs> you were Ben Franklin both. No, so, no thanks. No, all, all that. No, no, no. So, so entertainment wasn't something that you, <coughs> you looked at TV and thought that would be me. You watched TV and enjoyed it, but you didn't think I can do that. You wanted to do something well, a little you know, more different. Professional sports is the family business. Every male in my family played professional sports. So if I was going to do anything, that was the road. You know, I was an okay. athlete, you know. Sure. My family assumed I was going to play professional basketball. Okay. So, because that's what I was doing, and, you know, I was recruited by everybody and all that madness. So. Okay. So, at some point, that wasn't the path. I had a teacher, and it was Gladys Robertson. She was the only teacher I ever had that cursed. And, um, she now, when you say speaking. she cursed, though, was it like the hells and the dams, or was it like she dropping f bombs? Oh no, she cursed, curse. Yeah. Oh sweet. Oh yeah, she was, you know, and she was good at it too. You know, <laughs> Plus, Gladys is all right. Yeah, Gladys was Gladys was a gangster. Like she really was. She's the most gangster teacher I ever had. She was like, she pulled no punches. So she pretty much was like, sit your black ass down. Okay. Shut your black ass up. <laughs> you were meant to do this, and. I want you to do dramatic and humorous interpretation. I want you to do prose. And I want you to do debate. And she did that. I won the national championship. In debate? In de performing. Okay. Um, dramatic and humorous interp. And then I had all these drama school offers. And I started an advertising agency. And 
I was 18 and that was really working well. And then I got a job writing. And so I went to Hollywood as a writer on a different world. And then I wrote on the uh, pilot of Martin and the Sinbad show and rock live and, you know, wrote and produced television shows for about five years. And well, that's the stuff I found interesting, you know, because that's, I, you know, I came in in a very different way, right? I was, yeah, you know, writing jokes for Leno when I was 18 years old and writing jokes uh, from USA and you'd sell them to late night hosts. Oh yeah. So, you know, you know, 15 Absolutely. bucks a laugh, you know, 20 bucks a laugh, you know, 40, if it's got a call back, you know, stuff like that. You know what I mean? But I was doing that as a kid, you know what I mean? That's what I was doing. So the comedy part was always <coughs> like you, you kind of led, you obviously leaned into comedy. Like if that's what you were doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I met a guy who was doing that, uh -huh. and and uh, you know, and I, you know, I tossed a couple of shrimps on the Barbie, and they got bought, you know, and well, I, was I was like, gonna, oh, okay, so you know, so I started doing it. You yeah, know? like you do realize though that like not everybody gets their jokes picked. Like, I mean, I've been submitting them for years; they constantly ignore me. <laughs> they send them back, <laughs> but like the fact that they started buying them from you at eighteen. I mean, at that point, I think my head would be like this. I was like, did you see my joke on The Tonight Show the other night? I, mean, I was just a you know, kid from, you know, in South Carolina, you know, down in Charleston, South Carolina, you know, like, you know, trying to make ends meet. You know, I wasn't, I couldn't see nothing. You know, I, I, that wasn't my vision. You know what I mean? My vi I was just, it was like a hustle. Right. Make a couple bucks. You know what I mean? You know, this is really what I was doing. I, I, as an actor. There's touring comedians now who are like, they bought my jokes on The Tonight Show. Hire me. Like, uh, you, that's just like a little thing. I'm just saying it's, it's no, interesting. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I didn't come through that way, right? I, right. I, I'd never been on stage before. I just, that's, that's, I met a guy who, who was a stand-up comedian. Right. And he was the guy that I started my first uh, company with. Right. Right? So... And I didn't realize it, right? I didn't. I didn't really get what was going on, right? I, I was writing all this stuff, and you know, he kind of gave me a way to to transact on all of it. But I didn't realize that I was the primary author. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, it was it was a hustle for him too. Uh, well, yeah. And by the time I got to a different world, you know, Hollywood kind of separated him from me, and then sure. you know, and I continued on, you know, writing and producing and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't realize as a writer I had that gift until somebody told me I had the gift and then suddenly I was doing it on the biggest scale ever, but I, I, I wasn't a stand-up. I was just a successful right. writer. And I was going to say, like you're writing jokes uh, for the biggest stand-up platform to America at the time. Like Late Night was one of the biggest platforms for stand-up. You were writing jokes that were being used by the host, but you never stepped on stage and performed stand-up. No. It's pretty wild. It's a formula. Okay, it is. I, I mean, know that. It, it has a formulaic component to it. Right. It, look, here's what it is. If you're any good at impressions, and anybody who's good at impressions will tell you this, you pick out the pattern, right? Right. The math, right? And part of the, the comedy is the sound, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you choose a low note, it never sounds as funny as when you choose a high note. Right. It's just what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So in the choice of the sound, you're making a choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you want to be specific about the choice that you're making. Right. Right. To evoke. The response that you desire. That you desire. Sure. All right. So since that's what you're really doing here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
you know, mimic his pattern. Okay. It's not about what's funny coming out of my mouth. Right. It's about what's funny coming out of his mouth or her mouth. Right. So if you think of jokes in that manner when you write them, it's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, that's all I was doing. I was only successful at it because I was mimicking him. Right. I wasn't writing things that I thought were funny. I was trying to write things that he thought was funny by looking at what he thought was funny. Do you realize that is a really advanced comedy thought for someone who never did stand up and just coming out of like doing dramatic and comedic interpretation in high school? Like that, that's exactly it, correct. It's exactly correct. Yes, but, but that's what you learn doing dramatic and humorous interpretation. Man, I should. What you learn that. is that, look, when someone says, I want you to do the butter battle book. Okay. Th all right. This Dr. Seuss book about nuclear war. He won the Pulitzer for it, I think, in uh, 1984. Okay. All right. So you have to separate the characters, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a Dr. Seuss book, you know, Theodore Seuss Geisel. But, all right. right. So. <laughs> But you have to separate the characters. And because ultimately it's about nuclear war, you have to separate the intentions. Correct. So you have to really have a clear understanding of how this person sees the world versus this person because you're doing all of them. Right. And in that insight, I would assume that watching this guy perform, uh -huh. that it would be the same way. Right? Okay. Right? Okay. That he would apply the same vision. It's about how I see the world, not about how you see the world. Right. It's my show. I'm mm -hmm. the king. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in all those roles, each person thinks they're the king because it's about the war. So each person thinks they're deciding. Yeah. Choosing for you what it's going to be. Telling you how it's going to go. I'm the boss. Right. So I was like, oh, I get it. That's pretty much how most people talk to me <laughs> I'm, a black, I'm a black kid <laughs> this is stupid go sit your stupid ass down stupid why are you here stupid let me tell you something i mean you know or that was my last conversation with mark <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean so, yeah. but, but you know when you when you grow up in, in a society that sees you a certain way simply because of your complexion it's fear right uh -huh, but uh -huh. you know you know nobody particularly associates black guys with anything awesome <laughs> you know? i don't I mean, that. Well, no, that's not what I mean. Sure. What I mean, not, I don't mean to suggest that I like, hear you. the I entire hear world you. is some crazy, you know, my whole thing is that everybody's got their thing. Mm -hmm. it, there's fat, there's sweaty hands, there's, you know, there's uneven eyes, there's disabilities, there's, but there's so yeah, many I'm in the room, Orlando. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That people want to, you know, judge people about, you know what I mean? Being okay. black is just one. So, but my point is, is that I learned that if you can see somebody, mm -hmm. really try and see them and, and get you out of the way, then maybe you could write for them. Mm -hmm. And that insight was super helpful at a really young age. And it's a very big insight. And I hope that some of the folks, we have a lot of young performers who watch this show. So I hope that that was valuable to some of you because that was a clinic, which you just got from Orlando Jones, everybody. Uh, when did you get on stage? When did you decide to step out and try stand up? Um, I got roped into it by a manager who was always yelling at me about um, how much money I could make on stage um, because sh she wanted the money. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted her percentage of that money. And uh, she kept getting stand-up offers because people thought I was a stand-up. Right. And then I would turn it down. 
So I made her turn down an offer she did not want to turn down for a lot of money, and she was really mad about it. And I was uh, preparing. I think I was. I might have been doing Bobby Seal or something, or okay. or, I, or no, no, no. Um, um, I was doing fences. Uh, me and Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett were doing fences at the Pasadena Playhouse. Okay. Uh, with a, another wonderful actor named Wendell Pierce, and uh, August Wilson had just passed. And uh, I'm a huge August Wilson fan, and you know, and to he work- wrote the book, didn't he, or the play? Yes, the play. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, in in the world of theater, it's you know, uh, to to have the also the opportunity to work with you know with Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett, but you know, it's it, yeah. you know, it's a, and I turned it down, right? And and she really, you know, she's like, they're paying you nothing for this freaking play. What Managers you- and agents don't understand art, do they? they? Uh, you know, I'm like, oh, I understand it's about money for you because you always talking about money. I got it. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, and so the deal was she would pick a date on the calendar and on that date, no matter what, it did not matter. I was going to go do stand up. And so um, that was the date was, I think, uh, it was uh, August. And uh, I went down to the improv Coconut Grove. OK. Um, and uh, and did a different show every night. And that was that. OK. Did a different show. every night. So you did a weekend then? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Just you know, uh, I just kind of started there. Okay, so that's really how. How many years ago are we talking here? Oh gosh, I guess that was around mm, maybe two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Okay. Well, my question here for you is: yeah. that's in itself is pretty ballsy without like the preparation and having done stand-up, but being in front of a camera, being in front of an audience, and being an entertainer and doing uh, stage work and things like that, they're all kind of different from stand-up, but there's a lot of things that you can learn from them. What do you think you've learned specifically from stand-up that you didn't learn from those other uh, things that you do? Like, what is it about stand-up that you you like that was fresh to you that made you want to pursue it? Well, you know... Stand-up's a, a monologue. Yeah. And uh, everything else is a dialogue. Uh-huh. It's about your timing as it relates to the other person. It's about the note you choose. hmm You know, mm-hmm. if you're working with someone that has a really low voice, and then you also talk in a really low voice, how long do you think people are going to listen to you do people go, whoa, 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 I don't know. Whoa, Ask whoa, NPR. Whoa. Right? <laughs> do it all day. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so... <clears throat> You notice that the score is using these high pitched dings, these sounds, right? Right, by which to counterbalance that. Right? Yeah. But as an actor, if you chose a different note than the one he's on, it would just sound more interesting. It would just be a more interesting uh-huh. Uh-huh. thing. So I, I, I consider that part of the, the choice of creating character. I don't do any of that stuff in stand up, right? Right. Stand up um, is. There are people who like to do impersonations and songs and all that, and for yeah. me, I you know I could p- probably do all those versions of it. Uh-huh. But um, what I like most about it is I think it's the last bastion of free speech. I think it's sacred space. Agreed. I think it is um, quintessentially American in a really particular way. Just like jazz. Yes, it is quintessentially American, and. Um, as an American, in ways that I I don't like to flex my patriotism in any way at all. Sure. For me, stand up is 
is to me a a patriotic act to stand on 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 a stage and have fun having the uncomfortable conversations that create good communication create good community create bonds enough hmm. that's a heavy thought and you're you're absolutely right like when you get back into the origins of stand-up people standing on a street corner trying to get people to listen to their point but having to find a way to make it entertaining so someone could hear what they had to say and the fact that you respect that part of the roots of it and is amazing because you know you could have a guitar we could have silly time we could do lots of things but and that's a part of it right it is a part of it there's that's a not, part of it i don't think there's a wrong way to do comedy no. i think comedy is like ice cream there's lots of different flavors and there's something for everybody all originals that's the beauty that's it. of it all originals yeah. yeah and then there's you know there's like the wegman's brand over there every now and again we'll just <laughs> I, you know i i really see i'm a fan of so many different people right right, right. um that um I don't know. I don't understand this ranking system and all uh -huh. of that foolishness. That doesn't really register to me. Yeah. Um, I, I, where I do rank, however, is is I, I do rank the ones who were the most fearless, the ones who 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 walked right into the flames, and 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 those were the rebels that always. <laughs> got me in trouble you know sure. what i mean like you know people forget like you know i got banned from the super bowl for the make seven up yours ads you know there was a firestorm okay on, you know i was a jackass for for having not only written that campaign but you know I, I had to sit there and listen to katie kirk talking about am i offensive you know what i'm saying like i'm like really i mean that was a real conversation you know what i mean well, like i mean kids were getting thrown out of school for wearing a make seven up yours t-shirt like what kind of dumb shit is that you exactly know what I mean? so I was constantly in trouble. I mean, even recently with American Gods, I, I'm, there's always some controversy going on. Yeah. But I'm not trying to be controversial. You know what I mean? It's like, it's always funny to me. Sure. And they mad. <laughs> <laughs> they mad. Listen, man, listen, I, I had that problem with Tyler Perry. I made an April Fool's joke where I said I was replacing him in the role of Medea. Yeah. You put it out on your Twitter on April Fool's Day. Thank you. I put it out on April Fool's Day. It's not my fault these fools so stupid Freaking they took it seriously. Right over everyone's head. Then he puts out this tweet afterwards. What Orlando Jones said is not true and not funny. What? Wait, okay. You can say it's not true because it was April Fool's Day, but not funny? Oh, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It is funny. But again, controversy. There it is. <laughs> is an April Fool's joke? Well, it's always nice to be – it's always nice to – someone would actually consider that it was a real thing for a minute oh, where they man. were just like, no, we have to make sure nobody knows this is true. Like the fact that Tyler Perry looked at that and was like, wait a second. Did they, <laughs> did they call Orlando? <laughs> like he had to stop now for a second. Now you laughing. What it, see, now, now yeah, you, I get the that, joke. <laughs> I know, but my point is, see, I'm, I'm that kid, right? Yeah. That, the same kid. That, <laughs> yeah. That's me. I would have right? been sitting there giggling with you. Absolutely. Oh, listen, man, when it got attached to his Wikipedia, I laughed <laughs> I cried. I, I cried. 
That's so stupid. <laughs> Listen, I am a child, Trollando. I am a child. Yeah, okay, man. I'm having fun. I'm eight years old. I'm a 14 year old fangirl. Okay, there I'm it having is. fun. Leave me alone. Let me have my fucking fun. <laughs> is Mr. Nancy ever coming back, or is that ship sailed? You know, bad choice of words. Sorry. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Good choice of words. Actually. All right. Thank you. Fantastic. Uh, you know, uh, I it. Look, not not will a fiery god um, in the folklore of Kwaku Anansi, Grandma mm -hmm. Spider, reemerge? Sure, absolutely, based on uh, some the folklore that that I'm I'm writing. So mm -hmm. yes, mm -hmm. I will. I'm 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 writing the version of it that I I wish to do. Intra uh, okay. So, um, and, um, and am I being led to believe by the way you're framing this that you are planning on doing this separate from what is already the way you've already portrayed the character? It is entirely separate. Got it. Yeah, it is. It is. It is definitely separate. Uh, but it is the version I want to do. Um, and there is one other version that is emerging in Philadelphia. Uh, Rodney Barnes, uh, who is one of my favorite writers, let alone comic book writers, uh, check out Philadelphia. It's incredible. And he has a Nazi entering into the Philadelphia realm a bit. Uh, this is me writing a note to self. Yeah, Rodney Barnes is uh, 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 a good friend and, uh, and also an incredible writer. So, uh, And there's a, a few other versions that, of a Nazi that some other folks have written that have been swirling you know i you know marvel has a version of a nazi and I, I, there's a few other folk that have a couple of the nazi versions that people are calling about so uh, really they're yeah. like well not so, for nothing you know. i watched that show and i don't even know how i ended up watching it i don't watch a lot of tv mm. but there were so many things it was a very intriguing show but you stole some scenes man you yeah. really stole some scenes on that show and when I heard that you weren't on it anymore, it blew my mind. You were an executive producer, weren't you? Uh, no, I, I was a consulting producer, consulting and, a, producer. and a writer on the show. I, 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 okay. I, that was not my; those were not my issues. I was not an executive. Understood. Um, no, so essentially, the long and the short of it is, uh, you know, we did season one of the show. There's a, obviously a scene of me on the slave ship. That scene goes viral yep. and becomes sort of the. Uh, <clears throat> the flagship scene of the show, I guess, as it were. Uh, and there obviously there's a lot of excitement about seeing that character in season two, mm -hmm. uh, because during season one, um, I was in Africa doing Madiba, uh, again with, uh, Lawrence Fishburne and, uh, and, uh, um, uh, Dave Harewood. So we were doing like the most comprehensive piece anyone had ever done about apartheid, right. With wow. all of the players, you know, um, so instead of doing trying to do it in a movie, we did it in you know six hours, three films, right? right? So I, I couldn't get from Toronto to to to, um, to from Africa to Toronto to, to so all I got to do was the slave ship, right? In season one, and then the season finale in season one, right? So we're at season two now, American Gods, and I show up to work, and it's been a nineteen month hiatus because they fired the showrunners between season one and season two, and then it took them a while to find a new showrunner, and finally mm -hmm. we came back to work. And Neil Gaiman comes up to me, and he says, "Hey, we don't have a bible for your character. We never wrote one, and hmm. it's season two, 
and we're here now. And obviously there's a lot of anticipation about seeing Mr. Nancy. Would you write a Bible for your character? And okay. I said, sure. So having been a Writers Guild member for some over 30 years at this point, it, it's not something that I didn't know how to do. Sure. So I, and I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan. So I was like, <laughs> look at this. That's a, that's a, uh, quite a nod of respect from him to you. It, it was, it was, it was a, a gracious, uh, uh, thing. I felt, uh, certainly, uh, uh honored, uh, to be, to be asked. And I wrote it and then I sent it to him and then he sent me an email, which I still have. And in all caps, it says, uh, I fucking love it. Spread it around. Wow. All caps. And I goes out to all the executive producers and whatnot. And then in season two, I start writing uh, my own character. Uh, so in season two of American Gods, I'm not only performing Mr. Nancy, I'm writing Mr. Nancy. Right. And then I started writing Bilquist, and then I started writing Shadow Moon, and then I started writing Tech Boy and New Media and... And then I became a producer consulting on the show producer. and a consulting producer, and and me and Rodney Barnes were in effect the at the end he and I were the the showrunners that closed out the, the the work together. And Rodney's now doing the HBO Laker project. Uh, he's a EP over there and uh, incredible project. I'm playing Elgin Baylor. On the, Are you uh, really? Yeah, that'll be wild. So, uh, All right. So, uh, so Rodney's over there doing that now, just an incredible, uh, writer, uh, and a, and a really talented one, but nonetheless, so that's kind of how all that came together. Right? right. And then, you know, in season three, I was supposed to be back and eight days before I was supposed to go to work, I got fired and that was that and nobody told me why I didn't even get fired by people I worked for. I got fired by people I didn't work for. It was totally weird. And, and then we had this weird thing where they wouldn't give me my rights back and they wouldn't give me a clearance so that I could, you know, go do something else. The stuff that, I mean, you wrote it. You wrote a lot of it. Yeah, but season two, it aired, right? Sure. You know, and now it was season three. So they fired me from season three, but you know, season two was their most successful season of the yeah. show. And well, I tried to watch season three. So, And I'm saying this objectively. I'm not trying to kiss your ass. I watched season three, and I did not keep my attention. Yeah, I mean, they, they you know, I don't think they really, again, they, I don't think they understood who the fans were, right? Well, when I'm listening to what you're telling me about how they didn't have a Bible written for one of the characters, like, exactly. I go into season three, and I could tell it was a very disorganized mess, and it was hard to follow. Because, you know, the the greatness, I really think, of what Brian Fuller, Michael Green, and the team that did season one put together with with the actors, all of our characters, where the characters were so specifically defined. Right. Right? Okay. And so you were so excited about the journey those characters were on, and you didn't really care so much about where they were going. You knew they were going to encounter some weird, crazy shit, but you were invested in the characters themselves right and that's what forced you along and when you change the characters in any way then fans get confused because we're following we're fans right we're following right. the rules man right. you know we're paying attention so you got to be really specific and every time you change writers you get some new person who wants to put their own stamp on it often yeah. and is being encouraged to do so often right mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so you know again Goddamn actors <laughs> right you know so you know that's that's the that's the unfortunate part of why the first episode of any television show you've ever seen in your life mm -hmm. and the final episode of season two mm -hmm. are entirely different shows any show doesn't matter pilot of seinfeld final episode season two different show 
You blew my mind there. Season three, totally different show. Season four, the Seinfeld you talk about. Okay. Four years in. Okay. Same with The Office. But it's very interesting because a lot of shows don't get that runway. That's correct. That's the fight. Yeah. To have it be able to have the runway to figure it out. Right. That is literally the fight because it's true of every show ever made. Doesn't matter the show. The pilot and the end of season two are not the same show. Just is what it is. I have a uh, listener submitted question for you. Go. And uh, I think I saw this somewhere. Uh, were you Artie Lang's roommate? <laughs> I was. <laughs> How long? Um, so that's my brother right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we were on Mad TV together. And we were both new on the show because right. we were in the original eight. Yeah, cast. you were the original cast. Yeah, we were right. original cast. And, um, and Artie, you know, started the spiral, mm -hmm. and um, and then I'm, I I found him, me and Herman, and I, I took him to the hospital and and and, yeah. and and saved his life, and that it's all in Too Fat to Fish, the book. Yeah. He, he talks about it, so I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you know, bye bye. So anyway, uh, and then he went home, right, right. And so we were in season two now. Okay. And then there was a period of time where suddenly it was like, oh, Artie could come back. And so he's getting ready to come back. Right. And I was like, I can't let my dude go back to these, you know, same sure. apartments where he, that's the memory. His you know dealer mean? is like four doors down and yeah you know what i mean like, like it's yeah. the same corporate apartment place he was staying at that where everything went down he it, was going to end up going back to that same well, type they say of with addicts like one of the worst things they could do is just get thrown back into their own environment right right exactly i right. was like yeah i just so i was like nah 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 come live with me so i had a what a good dude. A warehouse downtown a loft warehouse and so Artie came to live with me right and so when the second spiral happened in season two, I was sitting in the center of it because we were living together. Ah, front row seat. Absolutely. Okay. So that's why I would never go on Stern and stuff and talk about it. I mean, I talk about it now because me, because sure. there's enough space. In fact, I'm probably going to talk about that. Uh, there would be, I, I will tell Artie Lang stories. And I've never told Artie Lang stories before, but I'm going to tell them this weekend. Okay, well, I'm, I'm we're gonna here. Tell, I'm going to tell. Be my guest. We're here. <laughs> tell so, me an Artie Lang story. Tell you Orlando. Your Lang story. Would uh, you tell me an Artie Lang story? I'm, I'll tell you a good, crazy Artie Lang story. All right. So, <laughs> and much loved Artie. We all love Artie. This is this is fun time here. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna preface this by saying to a couple of things, and I'm not saying this to be nice. Uh, um, this is just something I, I, I believe. Okay. Okay. Artie Lang is a comedy genius. Mm -hmm. He is fearless. He is he is brilliant. He is insightful. Um, I, I I love this man. This is my brother, mm -hmm. and um, and we did dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> we did the most ignorant shit you can imagine. So we shooting this sketch called Babe Watch. Okay. Okay. It's Babe the Pig. The Pig. In Baywatch. I believe I remember the sketch. He, wore, he was Babe the Pig. 
already decides he gonna play Babe the Pig. Now, okay. why he decides he gonna play Babe the Pig, I'll never know. I think we all know why he decided. The same reason if I was on the cast, they'd say, you're Babe the Pig. Listen, <laughs> I understand that, but the shit never sat right with me, okay? okay. I, I got big people in my family. I thought it was fucked up, but okay. you know, this, this motherfucker said it was cool. Next thing I know, he got eight teats. Okay? <laughs> And a big fucking nose on, all right? And he hit a little ass motherfucking Speedo and shit, and we in Babe Watch. That's comedy. That's what okay. comedy is. Fat guys in Speedos. Except we sitting in a Chrysler Sebring with the top down and bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic on the PCH. <laughs> and the nose, the prosthetic nose is hanging off to the side, and Artie's snorting cocaine off the dash. <laughs> With the top down, it and seems I'm like a bad move. And I'm driving the fucking car, and people are looking at us going, holy shit, look at that motherfucking pig snorting cocaine in that Chrysler Sebring. <laughs> what? Hey, look, hey, look, there's a fucking pig snorting cocaine off the deck. Right there, right there. Hey, hey. <laughs> We're bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, okay? Oh, God. <laughs> now, we finally... Um, get done with the day and we decide we're going to go sing karaoke and we all go out and eat Thai food and sing karaoke because apparently in Malibu, Thai food and karaoke, they, they, they go together. Yeah, yeah that's they, a Thursday. Yeah, they like chicken and waffles. Those sure. two, yeah, they, they, they were meant to be. So we, we go there and we end up getting some food and we all eat and now we're exhausted and we crash at this flea bag hotel that they got us up at this mad tv like they don't right. care about us at all now so, did fox own that show or yeah, was it okay it was warner brothers show on fox got it but it was you know it, they again they, as little as they could pay that's what they paid. I always wondered. I, I guess I didn't look too far in there because I always wondered who had the rights to Mad TV and how they were able to make that into a so mad into a television show. They, you know, all I remember is that Quincy Jones was an executive producer. That's who put me on the show. That's okay. how I got on it. Uh, I was Quincy's choice. And um, good casting. And um, I, I guess he and, and and them and Warner had somehow bought the license to Mad Magazine to turn it into a television show into a sketch comedy show. Got it. And that was what got sold. Was it originally supposed to compete with Saturday Night Live? Was that what the goal was? Or was it to meant to be its own thing? It was kind of meant to be its own thing because it, we were on against the news. That's we right. Came you were on, on earlier. We were on a half hour earlier. Right. And they were an uh, hour and a half and we were an hour. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the big difference was they, you know, they did all them jokes where you had to imagine a joke off of camera. Mm -hmm. You know, like somebody would say the word peed 50 times. Like, I can't believe he peed in the microwave. No, where's the, you know, they do, you know, you have to, <laughs> you know, they were doing those type of things. Yeah. And, and those eight minute long jokes. And we were doing three and a half minute, really kind of more MTV paced. Yes. And see, I was a writer on that show. So that was my, I, I was responsible for that. I was really about pushing the pace, making you see the comedy, uh, doing those sketches, uh, doing those movie parodies. I was about that kind of stuff yeah. because it differentiated us from uh, uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And for me, as you know, somebody who was really good at you know doing lots of characters, it really gave me a showcase. So I wanted to write as much of that oh, as God, possible. Yeah. So God, that's what yeah. I was doing. Uh, as a writer, and I was the only cast member that was on the writing room. 
and then I learned the first lesson that everybody should learn. All right. You do not want to be in the writing staff and in the cast on a sketch comedy show. Because it's going to get ugly on both sides? When you're in the writer's room, all they talk about is how them punk-ass actors messed up their sketch. I believe that. And when you're in the rehearsal room, all they talk about is how these punk-ass writers, shit ain't funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows you know who wrote what and where all the bodies are buried. And if you open your mouth, then it, all hell gonna break loose. So you have to sit there and shut up. No I bet you everybody you bitched and then just looked over at you waiting to hear what you thought of uh, what they were saying. Like you don't even know yeah. how many rooms I left with the spontaneous dance thing. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like literally, that's what I used that's to do. That's the best way to do it. That's what I would do. I would be like... <laughs> okay, let's try it. Uh, God damn it. This, have you seen this script, Orlando? This, this script is fucking terrible. I'm supposed to be Babe the Pig? What the fuck is this? Where's he going? But Orlando, Orlando, Orlando. Orlando. Eight udders, Orlando? Why do they have you wearing eight udders? Hey, Orlando, you want to go get some Thai food and do karaoke? <laughs> oh, hold on. I'll be right back. I go to the bathroom. Oh, but I got it, not it. Hey, shit, not me. Not That's brilliant, man. Listen, you want to hear a spontaneous uh, drop a hot sixteen? Shit, I, that was me right then. I'm like, I'm in Musicville. I can't hear you. <laughs> Fuck that. I'm not arguing. Uh, uh-uh. uh. I'm not gonna get fired behind. Best no of both worlds, huh? It's an interesting. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Both rooms taught me a lot. Yeah. As a writer, I learned more on Mad TV than I probably had ever learned writing sitcoms. Now, you were there for the whole run of the show, right? No, no, no. Mad TV ran for 14 years. I was the first one to leave. I left at the end of season two. Why did I think you were on there longer? Uh, oh, that's Aries right, because Spears you were on like all the good funny stuff that I saw. <laughs> yeah, okay. Check. They used a lot of my stuff in rerun over those years a lot, but I was only there for two seasons, and I left, and um, I was in the feature business after that. Yeah, you, yeah. Uh, you definitely... Uh, or one of the most successful people to come out of that show. I think, like, I'm trying to think, like, people who did a lot of really great stuff didn't necessarily catapult. Like, was it was it Kevin McDonald? Who? Kevin. Well, Kevin really was uh, from uh, Kids in the Hall. Um, but uh, I David of- Herman uh, was definitely hilarious. He was on House of Buggin' and Mad TV. Got it. Without question. One of the most incredible chameleons you'll you'll ever see. Uh, he's the guy in Office Space that plays Michael Bolton. Right. David Herman, a brilliant. Another lady named Mary Shear was super gifted. Uh, Nicole Sullivan. Yep. Uh, Phil Lamar, who mm-hmm. uh, you know is an icon in the in the VO VO voiceover world. But yeah. Is a gifted. Phil Lamar is like actor. in so much stuff. Yeah, you can't even. I watched like a Justice League cartoon with my nephew, and he was like the Green Lantern. That's right. Like, it's Phil Lamar. Exactly right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, so you know, you had that, and then, and then you, you have that, like Alex Bornstein. Yeah. Lois Griffin. Again. Yeah. You know, so kind of all you know, and then you've got Key and Peel because yep. you know I remember those. Yep, know. yep, yep, yep. All right, so that you know you've got that you've got Ari Spears, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, sort of that that he him coming out of that as well. You got Brian Callen. Yeah. Uh, and you've got. How did I forget about Brian Callen? Yeah. You got Brian Callen, came out of there too. Uh, you have Pablo Francisco, who came out of there as well. Love Pablo. Um, so that was kind of, you know, 
that was kind of the mad, you know, that was that crew at that time. Do you feel like that show doesn't get the love that it deserves? Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think of things in those terms particularly, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, sure. I don't know. I mean, I, I've always gotten a lot of mad TV love, you know what I mean? Yeah. And for as little sure. time as I spent on the show, you know, I, 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 I'm not the dude that can complain about mad TV not getting love, right? Cause I get a lot of right, love. Right. But for people who were on it a long time, like when I think about Nicole Sullivan and those types of people, you know what I mean? Uh, hold on, hold on. Deborah Wilson. My God. What? Right, Deborah. Okay. When I think about her, the body of work that she sort of sprinkled across that show, um, I definitely feel like she doesn't get the, her her flowers. I feel like there are a lot of people from Mad TV who don't get their flowers. Alex is also brilliant. Um, Pat Kilbane is also, mm -hmm. you know, there's some really talented well, folks. That was without that question. It was definitely yeah. a different flavor than SNL. It definitely, definitely. was. But quirkier. That's actually a pretty good way to describe it. You it know, was definitely quirkier. There, there was room to be different. There was room to not quite fit into all the boxes that everybody else fit into. Because see, mm -hmm. I never checked off any of the boxes. You know what I mean? That, I, that you know, I, I wasn't getting breaks. They was looking for me. You know what I mean? Sure. Or, or Hollywood was trying to push me. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I had to. I had to. It, it was a. It was a hustle for me, right? I. I had to prove it every time. I still feel that way. I got to prove it every day. I got to prove it every time. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I feel that way in, in every performance. I feel like everyone is my last in many ways just because I got baked in that fire. Well, I hope, I hope it's not your last because you have five more here at the Carlson uh -huh. this weekend. <laughs> but it, it's just a fire that you, 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 you yeah. come with. I mean, just, just about you know, trying to find the, the, the truth of the moment you're in and, and stand in it. You know what I mean? And uh and just the key, the guys that I had, like, you know, like I had one good conversation with Richard Pryor and that shit was life changing. You know what I'm saying? It was, really? It was crazy to do it, right? What did you and Richard chat about? You know, I'd met his daughter and met him. I know Rain very well. Yeah, she's such she's an incredible a, human. And she's like, you know, daddy wants to talk to you. And he saw me and, you know, and, you know, it was, I have no expectation he was going to know who the fuck I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, cool. No kidding. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and and he and, and he said, you you he says stay true to you, and uh, and 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 uh, I understood what he was saying. Stay to stay true to me, and to uh, to not allow um, to not allow the machine to pull me into this place where uh, I had to be. black or urban in the way that so many things are black or urban right you know what i mean there's a there's a <clears throat> there's a particular painting of mm -hmm. of of what the, a black comedian looks like where that black comedian comes from right and okay it's not particularly my nerdy black <laughs> right uh, you know what i'm saying i'm i'm not i'm not from that's not my, you know, I'm not from the yeah. ghetto. That You're is you. Not, right? That, my, my, yeah. my story is not that story, right? Yeah. 
you know, um, it, you know, like any life, it has had its struggles, right? But I'm, I can't. I'm not going to sit here and tell you about, my, you know, the, sure. the, 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 you know, my the, the tales of the hood I grew up in. I went to private Catholic school. Like, what the fuck am I talking yeah. about? A Norman Apache, Philly Spirit Santa. There we go. Yeah, you know and I'm saying, like, come on, stop the witch mom. You stop touching me, mom. Oh, hey, hey, you know, like, come on, <laughs> you know. What I mean, so, but you know what I mean. So I didn't, sure. I didn't grow up in that environment. That's not my environment. So. Um, I know of that environment. I have spent time in that environment. It's not how I grew up. So I didn't fit into what so many of the roles were because I, I could play that most mm -hmm. certainly, right? Sure. But that wasn't – so he, he was saying comedically when you make your choices, make sure you make choices that – no matter. forget about the size of roles and all that. He Make choices that illuminate these things about you. Yeah. And that's how I landed on office space, right? That's how I landed in those type of roles. Right. Because, oh, the nerd computer programmer whose door hustle is he's a drug dealer. Right, 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 right. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I completely, I understood, you know, even, you know, Drumline, the, the you know, the nerdy Miles Davis-y, you know, music guy who's really stirred about his music, but has made his One mistakes. The, you know what hit I mean? him with the ball. Hit him with Flight of the Bumblebee. Hit him with Flight of the Bumblebee. That's hit right. Hit him with Flight of the Bumblebee. Yeah, yeah. That's, Absolutely. You know, only a music nerd would get that joke. Thank right. you so much for that. You, you got don't it. know how happy that makes me. I'm glad. Uh, no, it really does. Uh, so, you know, I for me... Um, being able to carve those type of characters sure. out, right? And and they um, felt like complete characters in movies that w they're not supposed to be complete characters. Yeah, like Clifford Franklin for me was fun in that way, right? right? It was fun to meet a guy who who showed up to the NFL with a cardboard box with twine wrapped around it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not you know, like not a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Catches one pass and suddenly he's talking about himself in the third person. You know, just to, for me, it was to give it that journey, right? Sure. To make it feel that way, and and I was lucky that I worked with people who allowed me to do that and just went, go ahead, kid. You know, paint that picture. You know, I would say that like when you do something like that, they would consider that like a character, like more of like a character actor kind of a role. But you did, you do an amazing job of making like a complete story in a small amount of time, which is a real talent in itself. Well, well I'm, I'm talking about more about like Office Space. Like you know, you right, weren't in yeah. the movie the whole time, but like you get the whole story of this guy, and you love the character, and you could see like it's one of those characters where you're like, oh, I could watch a whole thing of this guy all day. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the fun of it, right? I right. Mean, for, for but again, it, it it's what he said. It, 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 what he was saying was, or at least what I understood him to say, and it, it got reinforced by you know so many other people. You know, like you know having Lawrence Fishburne as a friend and a mentor is it was you know huge. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, uh, but you know I also credited a lot of knowledge to you know Jeffrey Katzenberg was super kind to me. You know what I mean? So there's you know a lot of yeah. different people in that mix. You know what I mean? <laughs> My boy sure. Gary Miller. I could just go on about a lot of people who put me under their wing. But the the real lesson was that there are no small roles, right? They're just small actors. Not not small actors. Isn't that the old is that the old saying? People say that, but I don't think that's what it is. It's just that see the way I see it is like this, right? In everything, you got two sides. You got an advantage. You got a disadvantage. Is how it is, right? Right. So, not having a lot of screen time, most people say, "Oh, that's a disadvantage." Not if you create a super memorable character. Memorable character. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's where you excel, more, right? Yeah. Now, having a lot of screen time 
and not creating a memorable character. Kiss of death, right? Is, is equally meh. Right. Oh, yeah. As opposed to love you, man. It's a different thing, right? Right. So right. I spent my life walking around, and this is what I understood he was saying. I spent my life walking around with people who were super excited to see me because that character spoke to them, made them laugh, whatever, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Standing next to some guy who was supposed to be a much bigger star that they walked over to get to me. Yeah. And that has been weird my entire life. Because <laughs> you, you yeah. don't know how bad you piss a guy off when he thinks he's the one that's supposed to be getting the attention. And now your black ass is. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Larry Fishburne. <laughs> I got where you were going. Not, not a lot of shit, but, you know. <laughs> They certainly did that to Chris Klein, you know. So, <laughs> poor Chris Klein. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I felt bad. They did that to lots of people, man. They, yeah. you know, I, I've, I've, Don't feel bad. Listen, uh, I think back on a lot of things that got weird. I got super weird. I'm listening. I used to bust. Listen, the person who used to bust my balls the most is Keanu Reeves. Okay. Keanu Reeves was like, if they do replacements too, Clifford Franklin will be the quarterback. I hate you. <laughs> That's that was Keanu. Really? Oh yeah. And he was and, and he was probably right. Cause, you know, athletically, you know, we he and I are not in the same planet. Right. I mean I'm, family's for professional sports is the family business. Sure. All right, so I'm gonna tell you a story. So lay it on me. All right, so I tell my family that I'm going to Hollywood to become an actor. Okay. As far as they're concerned, I'm an All-American basketball player. Right. All right we're at Malden High School. Right. South Carolina. South Carolina. All right, this. Kevin Garnett and me. And I got more trophies in that case than Kevin. So they are like, you on your way here. And now I announced that I'm going to L.A. and got, my, got this writing job. Right? So I yeah. literally just drove home, dropped the news, I'm moving. My uncle's called a family meeting. Now, Larry has the loudest voice you have ever heard. This is your life. uncle. This is my uncle Larry. Okay. And then my uncle Lamar has a voice that's a little nerdy. And then there's another uncle that shall remain nameless. We'll get to him in a minute. <laughs> As I walk in the door, this is how the conversation starts. I'm warning you, this is going to be loud. Do it. Uh, uh, come, come on, hey, uh, sit down for there. Uh, your daddy say you going to California. What your daddy say? Daddy say you moving out to California. That's what the fuck your daddy say. Your daddy say you gonna be an actor. That what that, that fuck your daddy say. <laughs> what I wanna know is, am I gonna read some shit in the paper about you, boy? Is I'm is I'm gonna pick up the paper? And see some shit, got your name all up in it, that I need to know right now. Oh, okay. I'm not clear at this juncture on what the fuck he talking about. Okay, took me a second. I think I know where he's going. I wasn't clear either. So I was quiet. So Larry jumps in with his high-talking ass. What he want to know is, is you a diabetic? Do you have sugar in your tank? That's what he asking you. That's what, that what he trying to understand. Am I gay? 
Are y'all asking me if I'm gay? Is that is that the question? That's what we we just we just don't want to read it in the paper later on. Sounds like the South. It w- <laughs> Checks out. Nah, them people in California are different. Nah, you ain't gonna tell us they ain't different. They different. Now you gonna make a choice to go be with them. You ain't gonna make no choice to go and play ball the way your dad played ball, the way I played ball. Well, my play ball. We just want to understand why you deciding to go do that. And I say, how come Uncle James ain't here asking me this question? Now, see, this is the problem. Um, massive hands on this man I'm talking about right now. Uncle James? No, yeah, you don't want nothing about that man right there. Cowboy hat. Jerry curl. Blue jean shirt. Bolo tie. Massive belt buckle, Wrangler jeans, cowboy boots, nothing remotely effeminate of any kind. He done knocked every one of them out with one punch for hitting the S too hard or saying, sissy, he is is not for the faint of heart. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They call him double jointed because he never lifted weights, but he looked like he was carved out of stone. And when you mention his name, People stamp. <laughs> ain't nobody done by Jane. Ain't nobody done by Jane. <laughs> Look here. We were just trying to make sure you was okay. Yeah, that's all we was doing. Ain't nobody trying to bring James into this situation. <laughs> 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 we all good. Go on, go on, go on home. Go on home. Go on. Enjoy yeah, LA. Send a postcard. Get on. Hey, look here, man. We we wish you the best. We, we look here. We uh we 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 know we all proud of you. That's the thing you need to know. We proud of you. How come Uncle James ain't here? Boy, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) That's how that entire insanity went. So my background was did not have California in it. I just kind of found myself, you know, there, I guess, uh, telling stories and was fortunate enough to meet some cats who uh, helped me do it. Well, you know, you definitely have a lot of insight. And I, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us today because I think we learned there's a lot to learn from what you told us. So there's a lot of real so, nuggets of wisdom. So is it? I mean, listen, I, you know, look, if the one thing I'm sure of is that I, I, I didn't accomplish anything by myself. Right. Do you know what I mean? That, that's the one thing I'm really clear on, right? So, you know, I, I just try and encourage people to go, you know, I don't see that it is my role to, you know, try and pull everyone up by their you know bootstraps sure. it's not that but you know if, if there's some tools you know that you can use to to push forward i definitely think people gave them to me and i try and you know yeah. you know push them forward as well and, and i like doing stand-up as as a you know for me that's kind of a part of the role right again can I, can cavemen did not paint on walls because they was decorating <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's very true <laughs> let me ask this question is is the allure of stand-up to you the fact that you get to go kind of be yourself instead of doing a character it, even though there is character work in stand-up you get to be orlando jones and say what you want to say it's the last bastion of free speech that's it it's the look if, if i'm if i'm being really real about it Mm-hmm. then here's exactly what it is. As long as your message is fuck the other dude, everybody love you. As mm. long as your message is fuck them, fuck them, fuck them, fuck them all, everybody love you. As soon as your message is 
hey, we stronger together. Let's work together. Let's do this shit together. We can pull this shit together. Yo, 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 for real. Let's let's get together. They assassinate your ass. I get rid of your ass. Your eyes, their eyes your roll ass. into the back of their head. Like, right, they, they, yeah. Oh, you think you somebody? Oh, you think you a pro? You know what I mean? So, it's a weird thing, mm-hmm. right? Right. But it's the last place you can do it, and can't nobody do nothing about it. And there's a pretty likelihood they can't shoot my ass while I'm sitting on stage. Now with Mark Ippolito around. <laughs> so I figure if there's a place you can basically say and laugh and. And, and look at uh, life, you know what I'm saying, uh, through a particular hourglass. You know, for, for a black kid from the deep south, man, I, I've seen some of the deepest despair in terms of poverty. Yeah. And I saw what I thought was poverty wasn't even poverty when I got to Africa and India. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Shit. I, don't, I didn't even know what it was. It's until, some serious perspective. You know, and then, you know, the same time having audiences with so many kings and queens over the course of my lifetime, billionaires over the course of my lifetime, just seeing how an completely different class of human being lives, right? What their realities are, how different those realities are from everyday shit, right? Yeah. Down to a trap house. Right. So. Right. Having had eyes on all those things in my lifetime. It just builds a certain perspective, right? Right. I mean, it just kind of the way it went. Um, so I know I'm blessed, you know what I'm saying? So I figured, what fuck else I'm going to do with this information? Like, who else I'm going to give it to? I mean, for real. Uh, and, and to laugh about it and talk about it, to me, that's kind of the fun. And, and, you know, and that's what Carlin and Pryor and Hicks and Kennison and all of them were doing. Because, you know, look at how Pryor, look at how his voice expanded over the course of time. Look at how the subject matter expanded. Look at how his perspective shifted. I mean, come on. Even Paul Mooney. I mean, fuck, I mean, even Patrice O'Neill. Sure. I mean, the list of, of people who, even Chris Rock. I mean, his last concert is is a completely the departure from the brand of what you would have known as Chris Rock, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, I've been addicted to porn this whole time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, it's a very different rock than you would have seen before. So if there's anything Chappelle, even, you know, what you were looking at in Chappelle show with him and Neil Brennan, yeah. you know, no, that kind of two headed monster uh, along with, you know, Charlie Murphy and, and all these other incredible strong contributors sure. to that creative, but still looking at how Chappelle is today, right? Well, what a lot of those guys had that a lot of performers don't get is what we talked about earlier when it comes to sitcoms is they had the runway. That's right. They had enough eyes on them. That's right. To be able to do it. That's right. And and the and the bandwidth to to go through those periods, you know, like see Chappelle don't give no fucks. You know, Chappelle will, not a one. You know, Ch- Chappelle doesn't care about bombing every night. He doesn't mind that. I mean, it's not so much that he loves it, but he understands that's the work through process. Mm-hmm. So he just does it. But he's also not always trying to make you laugh, neither. But, but it's also hard for him to bomb. I, I would agree. Look, I'm I, sure he can. I'm absolutely sure he can. I've seen it happen, but that's not for me. That's not even sure, the point sure, of sure. it to me. It's not even about that. It's it's about the subject matter. Right. <laughs> right. Picked a subject that makes people have to quietly listen. <laughs> uh, is that and a bomb? Think. 
Is no. that a, that's my no. point? It's not. It's not, not even what, a little what, bit. What's the metric? Right. It's a different. A different metric is at yeah. play. Right? Again, it's the different types of ice cream. It's the different types of ice cream. And so for me, those flavors. Just looking at all those little flavors of it. Artie Lang has made me laugh as as hard as I've heard had anybody make me laugh. I mean, right. I, you know what I mean. It, you know, I'm sorry. It's hysterically funny. I've also heard people scream and boo. Um, you know, and, and we've always been rabble rousers, you know what I mean? But I always think it's so funny that I, I, it, the, I never got the label where it stuck to me the way it stuck to them. Right. And you would have, you would have thought that I would have gotten it, but I, it never stuck to me like it stuck to them. Interesting. But I was there and we were definitely, you know, and you know, God knows I've gotten myself in enough trouble with, with stuff I've done unintentionally. Sure. You know, I got called into the office by Bill Cosby. That was crazy. Bill Cosby tried to give you a speech? Oh, yeah. I got in trouble. For what? Well, first of all, Bill Cosby started off my career, so I can't even, like, say nothing. Right. But I was on Mad TV, and I'd done this sketch of Bill Cosby called Cosby's Crib, where Cosby was a drug dealer, and he was encouraged. I remember that. Okay, all right. So... Uh, I got called over uh, to the agent's office because he had some questions for me. And so he's on a walk in the room. He's on a speakerphone. He's like, is that in the room? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I saw your sketch and want to know if you are making fun of me or the media. Easy answer. The media, Mr. Cosby. I, I thought I just thought, shit a trick. I, that's what I said. The media, Mr. Cosby. Okay. That was it. That was it. And I, I left. That was it. So how did you get in trouble? Well, what was the trouble? Well, see, I guess, um, I guess portraying him as a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, he didn't charge people for it. Um, <laughs> people uh, didn't even have to ask him. But look, here's the thing. There's a sketch on Mad TV that no one has ever seen called Schindler's Lost. Okay. Schindler's Lost. Yes. Okay. So we decided to go there. That's <laughs> some heavy time. No, 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 no. It's 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 a joke. It's my parents in a car. My dad would never stop for fucking directions, and my mom is always like, "Hey, idiot, stop! He won't stop." So, lost. Got it. So, we did Schindler's Lost, the story of a man with a sense of justice but no sense of direction. Okay. It's a sketch. Got it. On Mad TV. Got it. Mad TV is about sacred cows. Mm -hmm. It's about pushing the envelope. Correct. I wrote this sketch. Okay. <sighs> We're in production <laughs> on the sketch. All right. Somebody's offended and they send it to the Anti-Defamation League. You're the Anti-Defamation League calls Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg's in a helicopter flying to the Hamptons with Quincy Jones. <laughs> As the helicopter's landing, oh, no. <laughs> Spielberg answers the call and he says, kill it. And he hangs up. And Quincy says, kill what? And he says, there's this sketch on this show called Mad TV. Schindler's Lost. Da, 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 da. How did he even know? Because Anti-Defamation League called him because it was his movie, Schindler's List. Okay. But him and Quincy are Bunch friends. of tattletales. And Quincy goes... That's my show. It's a joke. It's a sketch comedy show. Steven's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. 
So now. So that was the Anti-Defamation League calling him and him telling them to kill it? Yes. Wow. So the sketch gets killed over at Fox. This is offensive. Fox comes down. Ton of bricks. Witch hunt. (laughs) (laughs) Jones, what did you do now? (laughs) My previous problem was I'd done a sketch of Eddie Murphy where I had him as a waiter in a Chinese restaurant. Okay. Okay. And he had auditioned to play himself in the Eddie Murphy story being directed by Spike Lee. Okay. And Spike Lee comes into the Chinese restaurant and Eddie Murphy, the waiter walks in and sees Spike Lee. Okay. And proceeds to start to do all of his classic shtick to try and get Spike Lee to cast him as himself, as himself okay. in the okay. Eddie Murphy story. Did and, he do Gumby? And Spike, well, yeah, I'm Gumby, damn it. I'm Gumby. <laughs> all of it. Um, all of it. All of it. <laughs> okay. But Spike Lee won't cast him because he's cast himself in the role okay. of Eddie Murphy. And this got, this got you in trouble, too? So, apparently, Eddie Murphy sees the sketch. And okay. he had just lost his mind because David Spade had done this joke on Spade in America where there was a shooting star. And he goes, oh, look, there's Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy calls down. This is all, everything I'm saying to you, this entire run here, this is all hearsay. It was told back to me. All right. All told back to me. So Eddie I, Murphy. <laughs> these are Mr. Jones's thoughts. There is so. These are what was told back to me. I cannot okay. confirm or deny. All right. I can't. Okay. I was not there. So but what did Eddie Murphy do? Is, so Eddie Murphy calls down to Saturday Night Live, apparently. And he's like, I want to speak to David Speed. And David ducked his call and he kept calling. And I think he, the third time he called, he was like, my next call is going to be the Lauren. And he says to him, hey. Uh, I carried that show like a papoose on my back for four years. How dare you make fun of me on the show that you're on because I kept it on. Oh, that hurts my soul to hear. Okay. Yeah. So in the sketch where I'm playing Eddie Murphy as the waiter, when he gets mad at Spike Lee, he says, I carried that show on my back like a papoose for four years. <laughs> Go ask David Spade. Go call him. Ask him. <laughs> so you threw in an industry secret joke into a sketch. <laughs> and I'm guessing Eddie Murphy called Mad TV. So, or did he call the defamation league? Who did Eddie Murphy call? He called the same agents because uh, he was the big client over there, and I got called over. The, hey, hey, and I'm like, what the fuck are y'all talking about? This motherfucker was making fun of Cosby his damn self. I mean, what? Yeah. I'm on a sketch comedy show, what? But I can't make fun of any of the big comedians. And he didn't carry this one. What is he fucking doing? Fuck you, motherfuckers! I'm on Mad TV. Wow. That's why at the end of season two, I was like, uh-uh. Every time I look around, I got to fight with you motherfuckers about pushing an envelope. <laughs> really? Really? Uh, fuck this punk ass shit. So I'm, I'm out. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this question. I know you're shooting a movie with Mike Young right now, right? Yes, sir. I love Mike Young. He's going to be here. Uh, by the way, folks watching this, Mike Young is going to be here towards the end of the year. I don't have the dates in front of me, but yeah, yeah. I'm excited to meet him and talk to him. Absolutely. I've seen a lot of his stuff. Um if you could pick a project for yourself right now, if you could do anything you wanted to do, what are you doing? 
Like what 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 does Orlando Jones want to do right now? Well, I'm excited about Elgin Baylor to be honest with you. Um and there are a few projects uh, right now that I'm uh that I'm interested in. Um uh I I do want to go do James Baldwin. I do want to I want to get that done and I, I really do want to do a guy named Ted Patrick. Okay. Yeah. I'm not familiar with Ted Patrick. He's the father of cult deprogramming. He invented the I know system. that guy. Yeah. You want to play him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I. That I dude is a little nuts, man. That would be an amazing movie. He's, uh, you know, he's an interesting, interesting guy. You know, I've met him several times. I owned his life rights at one point. Um, he's, uh, he's a fascinating man. He, he, really would, he would like go like, he was basically like arguing with the hippies, wasn't he? Mainly, like he was no, like going more than no. that. The cults went after him. The, the cults up there, and uh, that they moved into that town. And no, he, no, 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 no. So all of the cults, so literally got together. Every cult, all of the cults got together. One of the things that they, that uh, the book, uh, I think it's called um, "Snapping," talks about uh, is it lays out what happened in the eighties with the cults. Mm -hmm. Because after the Jonestown massacre, there was a real eye on the cults, and, yeah. and so they they very much banded together. And they got very much involved in buying judges during the, the Reagan administration era to change the laws around what parents' rights were the kids. Because the cult's sweet spot was always grabbing 17-year-olds because when they turned sure. 18, the parents no longer had rights. What Ted Patrick was doing in snatching these kids, deprogramming them around mm -hmm. the country uh, was he was also creating in the legal fight a precedent where parents had rights to go help their kids right. who had been snatched by a cult. So in order to and get... he would, when we say he would snatch kids, he literally would go get them from the cult and take them and be like, so these are your parents. So he would know, he'd be working with the parents because it would often be the parents sure. who came and, and got him. And he would, you know, essentially give them the blueprint, which was, you know, they would schedule a time to meet their loved one. And they would generally, when the person showed up, they would wrap them in a blanket and, and put them in the back of a two-door car because it's much more difficult to escape a two-door than a four-door car. Yeah. Go to some place, the home or wherever that is secure. And then Ted and the family all together stay in that room together, obviously food coming in and out and such, um, uh, until that person is deprogrammed by Ted. And that might take 17 hours or that might take uh, a week or it might take two weeks. I will tell you right now, if you make that movie, I'm buying a ticket. So it's fascinating. I'm all in And he did that. that to over 2,000 people. Yeah. So I, I know yeah. when you said the name, yeah. I know who he is. I've seen him interviewed a bunch. He's an interesting cat. He's an interesting cat, right? Uh, particularly mm -hmm. because you know Ted Patrick had a stutter, and he didn't pull any punches. He was he was very like straightforward guy. Oh no, one hundred percent. And and some of his practices got a little questionable because his problems was he had this massive legal fight on his hand because the Colts were after him, right? So he's trying to pay all the legal fees, and he's got to take cases right right so he had people start to come to him for things that are not a cult like oh my kids in the cult of homosexuality okay well it's not a cult so now you're trying to deprogram again how much money a, you, a got? Game, you, know, <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> right so but and if you if your own politics subscribe to well it is a cult 
then there you are, right? Right, right. And 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 suddenly that those righteous practices that you thought were you know at the hands of God are now not quite so righteous, right? So it, it's it's a little messy in there with with a couple of things, yeah. uh, in my in my humble opinion. But you know, I think that's what makes him you know an, an interesting character. Absolutely. Yeah. Orlando Jones, I've had a really great time talking to you today. I got you, man. I lovely. really have. This this has been one of uh, my favorite shows I've done in a while. So thank you for spending your time with me today. Thank you for having me, brother. Truly. Oh, listen, anytime. My God. Um, folks, that's our show today. You can see Orlando Jones five shows this weekend. Tonight, 7.30, 7 and 9, Friday and Saturday. We hope you make it. You get your tickets at carlsoncast.com. We'll be back next week with Vic DiBetetto. Until then, act right, Rochester, and we'll see you at a show.